0: Focusing on the data, focusing on the repeatability, focusing on the sustainability early on, gives you the calling card that you need to be able to really garner support and uh, start building that that traction. Because when there is no awareness, to your your earlier point, there is no recognition of a, a solution. Welcome to MedSider where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson.
1: Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Greg Bullington, co-founder and CEO of Magnolia Medical. Greg is a leading figure in the development of Steropath, a revolutionary device that dramatically improves the accuracy of sepsis tests. Greg's previous expertise includes leadership positions across biotech, healthcare access, and enterprise software. Over the last decade, Greg has shaped every faucet of Magnolia's successes, from creating their own category and navigating the regulatory landscape with FDA, to collaborating with the U.S. Senate for the widespread adoption of Steropath. Here for you, the key, things that we discussed in this conversation. First, you need solid data, repeatable results, and a technology that remains relevant over time when trying to shift the paradigm in healthcare. Simply demonstrating a device's functionality isn't sufficient. Continuous validation and persuasion of diverse stakeholders are keys to widespread acceptance. Two, effective communication strategies are crucial when introducing a novel technology. Magnolia found itself educating not only FDA, but also enlightening the broader market about Steripath's significant ultimately owning the entire space. Third, positioning a device as the standard of care requires backing from government entities, which are often inundated with proposals from various parties. Knowing how to tell a compelling story with the data you have can push your device higher up on the priority list. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. Volume four summarizes the key learnings from the most popular medsider interviews over the last several months with folks like Rob Ball, CEO of Shoulder Innovations, Kate Rumroll, CEO of Ablative Solutions, Dr. Christian Ramdo, CEO of Tempa Health, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones. But there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. And if you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of Medsider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, Medsider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. Learn more about MedSider Mentors and our premium memberships by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. All right, Greg, welcome to MedSider. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, looking forward to the conversation, especially with the uh, the, the shared Midwest uh, roots, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, the only thing better would be, you know, doing this over, you know, corn of, co- or, uh, corn of the cob or something like that, right? So uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, the Iowa
0: cornfields, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Um, I recorded a, a short bio on your background at the outset of this uh, this particular episode, but let's start there. Give us a sense for kind of uh, your professional background, at least at a high level
0: without getting too far into the weeds, um, leading up to uh, your role now with uh, Magnolia. Uh, So I started my career in the strategy consulting industry and uh, early on had some really neat opportunities to work on totally new, novel technologies. Uh, in particular when active immunotherapy was a a totally new treatment modality in the world of oncology. uh, I had a a lot of exposure to that early on. Uh, Subsequently, the firm that I was working with did a lot of work with the big Blue Cross Blue Shield folks. So I had a pair perspective. uh, And then we also did uh, work on some managed care organizations that were managing Medicaid programs throughout the country. So had kind of an interesting uh, mix of experience from a an overall exposure to healthcare and, and commercializing new novel technologies and creating completely new markets. Uh, subsequently, I had co-founded a, a software company with a group of software engineers and built up an intellectual property portfolio around that software platform uh, that was really designed to optimize the performance of hard drives uh, in data center environments in particular. And so uh, I ended up selling that company to uh, SanDisk. And, Really kind of had my aha moment in terms of the importance of intellectual property, which became a a true foundation uh, when I was introduced to my co-founder, Dr. Richard Patton, who was the chief of pathology at one of the University of Washington hospitals uh, here in Seattle. And uh, really, uh, the first time I met with him, he... Uh, Pulled a a little bag of uh, goodies out of his drawer in his little office in the back of this huge clinical lab and dumped a bunch of needles and tubes and blood test uh, equipment out on his desk and started to explain this really significant problem uh, around the misdiagnosis of sepsis, which is the number one leading cause of death costs and readmissions in hospitals nationwide. Uh, Yet the standard of care test that's used to diagnose sepsis is wrong. In an average hospital about 40% of the time. So oh. got 40 out of 100 patients that are being uh, stewarded down a diagnostic and treatment pathway that's not appropriate. And it drives uh, really significant, avoidable, preventable morbidity and mortality. And that is the the mission and journey that we've been on for the past decade plus.
1: I was just going to say that 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 story that you just shared about uh you know w- when your your co-founder sort of dropped this uh this bag of of goodies right on on the on on the, on the table on on his maybe office desk or, or lab that was you know over over 10 years ago right because I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile now and it says uh it looks like you started the company or co-founded the company gosh 12 is it 12 12 and a half years ago now something like that so it, i mean did, did that story like happen way you know that that long ago
0: Longer ago, shockingly (laughs) enough. So we started really as a a commercial entity in that uh, timeframe, you see there on LinkedIn, but we had several years of clinical data collection that we were conducting at three major hospitals in the Seattle area, really to prove out our core hypothesis to begin with to uh, really ensure that we had broad data. We actually had collected uh, blood cultures with a manual off the shelf park process from uh, tens of thousands of patients here in Seattle. Uh, and we had really encouraging, exciting results, but we still got stuck at this kind of 25% of the positives were still false positives. So mm. one patients and the big question we asked as well, if we invent a completely new device category and we have a closed system, sterile, end-to-end blood collection platform that gives us the ability really to create a sterile connection to a patient, so the only thing we're actually testing is their blood, not their blood mixed with skin cells and bacteria from the surface of the skin or the hospital environment, how much better would the results be? That was the mm. big question. And so uh, we went through an exhaustive design process uh, that really fueled our intellectual property portfolio, which, as you know, is critical for an early-stage med tech company. Yep. Uh, and ultimately we had uh, three major independent clinical trials conducted and the answer to our original question about how much better is our device than our manual process uh, it turns out the device performed 10 times better mm. wow. so 90% reductions uh, in one major clinical trial that was published just recently from Stanford University down in Palo Alto uh, over 11000 patient sepsis tests were collected with our device platform with zero false positive results. So we have demonstrated this is in fact a preventable error and that's led to a lot of our government affairs activities and otherwise that we can get into further as, as helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. So you've been at this uh, a while, but it sounds like you've developed quite the system and created a you know entire category around this uh, around this this technology. You touched on it already a little bit, but give me a sense for like how this actually works. Maybe frame it up from a patient's perspective, and you know if you can explain it to me like I'm you know maybe a freshman in high school. I don't have a, a ton of domain expertise in this in this particular category. So help help sure. us give it help me and maybe you know everyone else that's going to be listening to this conversation understand kind of what 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 the
0: technology is and does. Sure. So, if you think about a a typical hospital uh, and you think about the the flow of patients into an emergency department somewhere in the range of about 10 percent of those patients so one in ten is going to have symptoms that they may have an infection Uh, they'll have a a fever a rapid respiratory rate low blood pressure Uh, these are all signs that you may be having a, a reaction to an infection and the real question becomes is that infection being driven by bacteria yeast or fungus or is it a viral reaction Uh, And as I'm sure you remember from uh, being a kid, if you have a virus, you're supposed to drink orange juice and sleep, not take a bunch of antibiotics because they won't help. And in fact, they do harm. So uh, we will take blood cultures from every one of those patients that has those symptoms. Uh, On average, we think of 100 patients in the emergency department, 92 of those results will be negative. So even though 100 patients had the symptoms, 92 of them negative result, only eight will be positive on average. And in a typical hospital, three or 4% false positive rates represent 40 to 50 plus percent of the positives. Got it. And really the challenge comes in, it's not a binary thing. So you can't immediately deduce that a contamination or bugs from the patient's skin, or from the the nurse's fingertip palpating a vein, or just from the ambient environment. Uh, Emergency departments are chaotic and often not the uh, most sterile of environments. So that becomes the conundrum for the physician. Is that bug that we isolated in the patient's blood, or was it from a different source? Should I treat the patient, should I not? And as I mentioned earlier, this is the number one leading cause of death Costs and 30-day readmissions. And so it's a really serious decision. And most often, uh, understandably, the physicians will take a, a more proactive and defensive approach in, in treating the vast majority of those patients.
1: Got it, got it. I'm on your website right now. It's magnolia-medical.com. For those listening that don't get to the, the full write-up on MedSider, definitely encourage you to check that out, magnolia dash or hyphen medical.com. We'll link to it in the, in the full, uh, the, the full summary piece. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at stereopath, right. Which is, I think that, you know, it, that's the core foundation that are the, the core technology that we're talking about. So you, you guys, this end to end system that you referenced earlier, that's in, in, in terms of cl- collecting the blood and then, and then sampling and, and, and diagnosing
0: then correct. Am I understanding that? Right? We're, just, we're just the front end component of that, making okay. sure the only thing that goes into that blood culture bottle or that test vial Got uh, is your venous blood, not your blood coupled with uh, a skin plug and uh, hair follicles and sweat glands and adnexal structures from uh, the process of actually attaining vascular access. Okay. For our platform today we're really focused on that front end collection making sure that we really create a sterile connection to a patient so that we have that pathway to transfer just the blood uh, that results in accurate tests from a, a a contamination standpoint and then we have a whole future uh product development roadmap and platform that addresses other problems around accuracy and then importantly timeliness and that's really where the the kind of diagnostics and some of the things we're doing on the software front come into play to enable the the full end-to-end opportunity to really address and solve this problem.
1: Got it. So this is like an extremely precise way to collect blood. Okay, got exactly. it, got it. Yeah, that's the maybe the the layman's the layman, my, my layman's way of describing describing your uh, your your device. Um, very cool. So, um, you were I, we we talked about this earlier. You're you know ten plus years into co founding uh, and and operationally running the company as CEO. Give us an idea of kind of where you're at in terms of ClinReg. Uh, you're actively commercializing this um, as well. Give us a kind of a, an idea of kind of where the company's at and where you're headed maybe over the next uh, few years.
0: Yep. So um, as you mentioned earlier, this really is a totally novel device category that we invented. And so once we had the clinical data under our belt to prove that we could deliver 10 times better results, uh, more recently in that Stanford study, as I mentioned, uh, 100% reduction or the elimination of contamination across 11,000 plus patient sepsis tests, uh, you know, we've really been on the journey to drive what we call our mission to zero program. And so our target is to eliminate the misdiagnosis of sepsis. That comes in the form of accuracy of the test. It comes in the form of timeliness of the actionable information that comes in the form of measuring our performance to make sure that we're appropriately recognizing and treating patients in the timeliest fashion that we can. Uh, Time is the ultimate enemy when it comes to a patient that really does have a a bacterial or a fungus or yeast driven infection. And so where we are today uh, is really in that fun, rapid commercial scaling phase. So. We have uh, almost 500 hospital and hospital system customers across the country that have adopted our platform uh, as the standard of care for their sepsis testing uh, accuracy initiatives. And so we're continuing to really drive significant ramp commercially. Uh, We've worked long and hard over the years to really uh, affect and enact a new standard of care. So we've worked closely with CDC, with CMS, Uh, with the major uh, societies that govern laboratory standards and quality. Uh, And there's really been major movement over the last 12 months. And so uh, we're working with the support of Congress. We have bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate to accelerate the adoption of these new standards of care Mm -hmm. because this is such a, a significant problem. It's so costly economically. It's so costly clinically. And there is a direct morbidity correlation uh, where we know that we can directly reduce morbidity and mortality day to day by addressing and solving this problem.
1: Got it. Um yeah, sounds like you had at a, at a very fun and exciting, uh, you know, stage stage of the company, especially if you're working with, uh, you know, even the, the the U.S. government in that sort of fashion, right? Really, kind of pushing the pushing the envelope and and pulling pulling all the levers. So, um, with that said, let's spend the next twenty to thirty minutes kind of going back in time and kind of covering uh, some of the key functions and phases, uh, you know, that that you know any life science startup typically goes through um, if they get to the point that you have, um, is you know, especially uh, especially for those uh, in in med tech. So. I want to kind of focus in on Steropath Micro and maybe compare that to, to Steropath. And you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit um and, and really kind of more focusing more specifically on development and really what you've learned kind of getting through alpha and beta on Steropath and then you know maybe how you're approaching it a little bit different with Stereopath Micro and, and and maybe if you could frame up kind of your thoughts around this 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 uh this topic. You know, if you if you were to coach up, you know, other entrepreneurs that are kind of going through alpha and beta development for the first time, you know, what are what are some of the key things that that you would recommend, you know, based on your your experiences developing your your novel
0: technology? Well, to your point, if we re- rewind to the very beginning. You know, we had really compelling clinical data with a kind of clunky off-the-shelf parts cobbled together process. And we believed intuitively that we could get better results if we designed a mechanical closed system, sterile end-to-end system, but we didn't know. And at that point in time, there was no such thing as an initial specimen diversion device. There was no clinical data supporting how much better or more consistent the performance could be. And so uh, we really started off with a simple mandate that I would um, submit is something that any uh, medtech entrepreneur who's looking to develop a device that might think long and hard about. And that is, I kind of had three criteria that were the charge for the product development team. And I said, what we want is at least nine out of 10 times when we come into a hospital, we provide this new device, this new product. You know, we have to explain the rationale of why are we bringing a new product in? Why are we uh, making any modification to the way we've done something for decades past? There has to be a compelling reason. And obviously, the patient safety uh, and the hospital economic impacts are compelling on their own. But there's three things we want at least nine out of 10 nurses to say after they use our product, which is we want them to say, wow. We want them to say, thank you and we want them to say, you made my job easier. And I think if uh, if folks keep those ideas and concepts in the forefront, I think that's a, a really uh, helpful starting point. You know, we have these signs plastered up all over the uh, product development lab. And uh, I know that uh, my team is tired of hearing me say that, but I, I haven't found any flaws in the logic yet. So <laughs> I've yet to, uh, yet to change that charge. Yeah. Uh, but to your question previously, so differences between StereoPath and StereoPath Micro, uh, well, StereoPath was a first-of-its-kind technology. And so we took all the learnings from our manual process and obviously integrated that into the ultimate initial architecture that we chose. But we developed hundreds of different mechanical solutions around how we could solve these problems. Uh, and we integrated that all into our intellectual property portfolio, which was an important first step. And then secondarily, like any technology company, so the name of our company is Magnolia Medical Technologies, uh, for a reason, which is that we have that view and vision of the continuous opportunity to continue to improve, mm. uh, just like the microchips or uh, or processors. Right, <clears throat> we started out with the 386, and you look at where the new Apple chips are today. Right that there are those exponential opportunities to continue to drive improvement. So our SteriPath micro product, which was uh, recently cleared by the FDA and has uh, a a unique uh, set of capabilities in terms of the design of the actual diversion capability, uh, as well as uh, proprietary uh, needle technology. So we've partnered with Becton Dickinson uh, from a co-marketing and co-selling standpoint here in the U.S., Uh, And that also opened up uh, an opportunity for us to integrate one of their uh, new and really important technologies that basically is a, a needle technology that allows for mm. higher blood flow rates, which helps to ensure you capture the appropriate volume of blood, which can help increase the sensitivity uh, of the blood culture test or help abate the risk of a false positive or false negative rather. So the, the micro product is smaller. It's easier to use. It has a new technology in terms of how it diverts and sequesters that initial blood flow. And then it's also coupled with this new BD needle technology that helps uh, improve the uh, overall flow dynamics to try to optimize sensitivity.
1: Uh, got it. That that um I, I want to circle back around to kind of your the, the first part of your answer around those three kind of those three responses that you're looking for, right? Um I think it was wow, thank you and you made my life easier, right or something I think I got those those correctly. That reminds me of um of kind of the methodology that Jeff Bezos incorporated at Amazon, right? Where when they start a new product, and and for those that aren't familiar, um, I think this was I don't, I don't know at what point he introduced this into 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 Amazon, but um when they when they when they're thinking about you know uh, uh, developing a product, they'll start with the end in mind, right? And that end is a press release, um, right. which basically is intended to capture. Sort of that response, right? That that you uh, those types of responses that, that you mentioned, and it, it reminded me because I was just listening to this um this podcast the other day, uh, fa- the founders podcast. I'm not sure if you heard of it, but um, yep. uh, it, I think he was covering um. The recent book of like what it's like working with or what it was like working with with uh, with Jeff Bezos, but anyway, anyway, uh, I've heard that I've heard that um, that framework or that that concept before, but it it was a it was sort of a good reminder. So it's interesting that you that you mentioned you know kind of starting with the response that you're looking for, and then kind of going back and that, that you, using that as fuel to kind of develop the the uh, the end product.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think uh, you pointed out you know when you're trying to move quickly and you have limited capital, it's. Mm-hmm those are the hard trade-offs mm-hmm. and you know in my view you can't over invest in trying to get that direct end user uh, feedback and trying to have as many cycles as you can out in the field to collect that as opposed to making decisions in a vacuum around a conference room table uh with a whiteboard and you know those are, are typically uh creates a lot of additional downstream challenges that you uh, would like to avoid and i think those can largely be avoided with a, high enough sample size of getting really direct candid feedback from the folks that will be using your product.
1: Yeah, I love the simplicity. I am a big fan of, um, you know, using threes, right? The rule rule of three. And I love like just honing in that kind of that that end goal down to three key things that you're looking for. And then, you know, as you make certain, you know, design... Uh, or product decisions, right? Keeping those front and center, right? Is this going to result in a uh, wow? Is this going to result in a thank you? Is this going to result in a this made my <laughs> this my job or my life easier? You know, and so uh, I love I love that approach. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about kind of the the, the category you know that you that you created. Um, I think you you refer to it is the acronym ISDT. Is it is it?
0: Do I have that right? ISDD. The ISDT the technique was our original. Off the shelf parts manual process. Yep. That was the ISDT. So we had that, that's where we got the results down to about one in four. And then the ISDD was the major mechanical device category innovation that delivers 10 times better results than the ISDT, which is that manual process with off the shelf parts.
1: Got it. Got it. So I mean that's a huge challenge to take on, right? Is like you're creating you're creating a category. Uh, Not only are you trying to develop and eventually, um, you know, get regulatory clearance for a product, but also commercialize it. But yet you're having to kind of take take that one step further and and educate an entire market around this category that they don't maybe know entirely exists or maybe they don't know how to describe it. And so, I mean, if you had to kind of narrow in on on a few key learnings, right, that you've picked on through picked up on through that process what are those you know if you had to kind of boil it down to a few a couple things
0: well i think first and foremost as a, a physician co-founded company our commitment to evidence-based and scientific you know scientifically validated approaches to really driving the development of our platform has been paramount and so to me that's the the starting point that you know you have to have that in place and have that very strong foundation uh, really to take advantage of, of any opportunity to meet a significant unmet clinical need. Uh, as I mentioned, we've really focused on this uh, Mission to Zero program, and our goal really is zero uh, in terms of eliminating misdiagnoses of sepsis. And so it's a journey and a pathway to get there, obviously. As I mentioned, you know there are uh, many legs to the stool. But I think that having the data foundation that we have gave us a unique opportunity to really collaborate with a lot of the key opinion leaders, uh, a lot of the uh, influential societies, a lot of the standard setting bodies, uh, as we were briefly touching on previously, the the government uh, affairs and the government uh, support that we've been able to garner really has been on the basis of the fact that we have 20 plus large scale studies published using our technology and or evaluating uh, the cost effectiveness profile of preventing uh, these sepsis misdiagnoses. So I think that really focusing on the data, focusing on the repeatability, focusing on the sustainability early on gives you the calling card that you need to be able to really garner support and uh, start building that that traction. Because when there is no awareness to your, to your earlier point, there is no you know recognition of a, a solution there's always major skepticism in the, the healthcare space about any new technology uh sometimes appropriately so but i think you get to a certain point where you know that becomes a, a an irrational hindrance but uh again i think it all starts with the the facts and the data and the, the science to support the validity of what it is that you're uh, off to go solve
1: yeah, I, I think most of us that are in medtech or have been in this this uh, the space for quite some time un- understand that. But it's a good it's a good reminder, right? Because, like as an example, I, I was just reading um, a, a survey response from an a- an analyst that that covers a certain therapeutic um, arena. Gosh, was it a couple days ago, something like that? And I was looking at the responses from the physicians, and they they were like one of the one of the reasons they're not using this technology is there's not enough data. Yep. But they, they're not convinced, and I'm like. Really? Like there's a ton of data on this on this particular product, but it, but it was like a reminder of like, you can never really stop. Hey everyone, let's take a quick break to catch you up on Fastwave Medical, the company I co-founded and lead as CEO. We're developing multiple intravascular lithotripsy systems or IVL for short for a market size of over $10 billion. So you may remember the exclusive round of capital I told you we were going to carve out for Fastwave insiders in the cardiovascular space. Well, due to the overwhelming demand, we blew through our cap in just a few weeks and had to close it down much earlier than expected. The incredibly high interest in this exclusive fundraise exceeded even our own expectations. But in retrospect, it sort of makes sense. Here's why. First, Shockwave Medical, which is the only IVL player in town, has a market cap of close to $10 billion. Second, we've designed Fastwave systems to be faster, better, and more efficient, and to disrupt this monopolized category by giving physicians more IVL options to choose from. Third, we've already secured two non-provisional patents from the USPTO, one of which was granted in six months, which is almost unheard of in the medtech space. We may open up another private fundraise in the future, so if you're interested in joining our waiting list to invest in one of the hottest cardiovascular therapies, head over to fastwavemedical.com forward slash invest and enter your email. Again, that's fastwavemedical.com forward slash invest. All right, let's get back to the rest of the conversation.